Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of the Movie Brats podcast. I am Carter, coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and joining me today, as always, is Jonathan in Greenville, South Carolina. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing well. And today's topic of discussion are the movies First Man and Halloween, which was just released this past Thursday. And we're going to start off with a discussion of First Man, because it's been out for a little while, and we'll get a little spoilery with that one. Well, we'll try to avoid spoilers with Halloween, but we'll just start off giving our our general impressions of the movies. And uh, I saw First Man a couple weeks ago. I know Jonathan saw it in IMAX. I did not get the opportunity to see it in IMAX, but for me, that did not lessen the experience. It's the best movie I've seen this year so far. It's one of the best Ryan Gosling performances I've seen. And it was a different sort of role for him. Because, uh, I don't know. You sort of think of him in, uh, like, uh, Crazy Stupid Love or something like that, where he's all charismatic and he's being the charming Ryan Gosling. But in First Man, he, like, hardly speaks at all. And he plays a very reserved character who's just, you know, tries to get his job done and he's very focused on what he has to do. He doesn't even really express himself to, like, his family members. But I thought Gosling, in a sort of different role, was, like, really, really good as Neil Armstrong. And I think it's one of the best performances he's delivered in a long time. <laughs> Jonathan, you want something to say? I would say, actually, I think of this as being a very typical Ryan Gosling performance because, in my mind, I think of him usually as playing a very blank slate like in drive or well that's the only one where i think of that lars in the real world he's not really a blank slate well he just has this he's very insular and you don't really you have to kind of learn about the character to understand and what his surroundings are he had he plays some he's played many characters that are quiet only god forgives i i think of him as often playing characters that are very reserved and quiet and there's you know that to me that is what ryan Gosling often reserved plays. maybe but not quiet i'm looking at the last few he's been in the nice guys he is not quiet and the nice guys that is how i think of ryan gosling where he's cracking jokes and like being very charismatic the big Blade short Runner, the same Blade, way play yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> play I mean, yeah he's sort of a blank slate because he's playing an android in blade runner but he i think he well, speaks for him blade runner than he did in first man well, I would say that, you know, he's played many, he's a versatile actor, but to, in my mind, his best films are ones where he plays kind of a reserved character and he, you know, ha, he keeps himself close to the vest. Okay. I would think the one most people our age associate Ryan Gosling with is The Notebook. Not I've like never seen it. You've never seen The Notebook. Holy crap. No, and it me, takes place in me, South Carolina. You should have seen that by now. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen. Um, I would want to see it because it had Gina, Gina Rollins in it. But uh, I know that um, Drive to me is like his uh, seminal performance. Okay. To me, that's like amplifies like that. That's a Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, not Jake Gyllenhaal. Ryan Gosling performance. I think of that as a Nicholas Winding Refn movie more than a Ryan Gosling movie. Well, no, I do too. But I, I think of when I think of when I mention to people, you know, oh, who's Ryan Gosling? Oh, Drive. That's like the first film I mention. Oh. For me, it's the Notebook. <laughs> you got to see that eventually. But no. to get back on the first man, uh, I don't know. I thought it was really good. I thought it got the time period across really well, which I think is sort of the first thing I look for in a historical movie is how well do they capture the time period. And I thought they absolutely nailed the 1960s with the 
even just like the way people dress and they shot a whole lot of the domestic scenes on uh 16 millimeter which gave it a sort of documentary look which i really liked especially in the scenes with uh his wife played by Clara Foy who i thought was really excellent and his uh two children and uh what do you think of it sort of started off with uh being about his daughter who had a, a rare form of i think brain cancer and ends up dying very early on in the movie how do you think of uh them starting off with that well i think it gives the film an emotional core you know you know without giving away exactly what happens in the final moments of the film it gives a film it gives the film that's often very gritty and workman i mean well not workman like but the film is very you know detail oriented it's about the minutia of the of the technology and this mission and it gives it the film of basis and emotion and humanity yeah when they started off with that i was sort of like what are they gonna end up doing with this but they i thought they did a good job of sort of touching on it throughout the movie and sort of like uh i don't know it's sort of like ernest Hemingway and the iceberg sort of thing like it shows there's a little more to do armstrong than what he just lets you see on the surface and that he feels things much more deeply than you think he would and that comes up a few times during the movie um but i mean something You'd think them, like, starting off with that, it'd come up a lot more, but I think the way that they just sort of touched on it every once in a while was very reflective of how the character Neil Armstrong sort of, uh, like, buried it underneath and, like, didn't want to confront it, um, but, like, when it did come out, it was, it was very moving. I thought Ryan Gosling did that really well, how he sort of, like, was burying his emotions all the time, and at the times they did sort of surface, he, like, wanted to, like, bury them as soon as they came back up. Uh, I don't know. I was really impressed with Ryan Gosling. I hope he gets an Oscar nomination for this, even though it's not exactly a showy performance. I think that he does a really good job of capturing that era's, the idea of a man and how you don't, you're not overly emotional. You don't show mm-hmm. it, but he, he, you know, he has this kind of stern, you know, just the way he looks, that haircut and just <laughs> he's very clean cut, but he does a really masterful job of capturing, you know, burying that emotion, but sometimes it, you know, comes to the surface. I think it's very important that the film is titled First Man. This mm-hmm. is not a sweeping biopic uh, of nasa it's a biopic of a man and what he came to you know what his life was like in that program and people stupidly have complained about them not showing specifically the flag being planted on the Mm -hmm. moon you do see many american flags in the film you see the sun putting up a flag in their house you Mm -hmm. see the flag on the moon but the point of the film is that this is from his perspective and you and it's very much a film about a man's journey and it definitely shows how many people went into having the mission be a success and you see the failures but you see how much uh you know how many people went into making it happen but it's ultimately i think a very focused film you know looking at it through armstrong's uh vision yeah i was sort of surprised how uh, just how much of the movie was actually in shot sure. in the first-person perspective, like where you're seeing the world as Armstrong sees it. There was a few like flight sequences where you're, it's like first-person, and you're like looking through, uh, like in the cockpit and through his like mask and everything like that, and like you hear the There's breath a, inside the suit and stuff like that. 
there's a credible moment where he's doing a drill and he's out in a field and it he ex, it, you know expo, he blows himself away and there's this massive fire and you see his body dangling and it's like it was a really cool camera. sequence yeah right well do you want me to uh, say my kind of basic thoughts about the film yeah because you're coming right off it you just saw it what like a couple yeah. hours ago right I thought it was one of the most unpleasant movie experiences I've had all year. Oh, wow. Having said that, I'm not saying it's a bad film, but one thing that just, I, I'm like nauseous, like, like physically nauseous. I thought the camera work was awful. It drove oh, me crazy really? <laughs> that I liked, it was very effective in the scenes where they're in, you know, space and they're in the testing, uh-huh. but having a two hour and 20 minute movie sitting there watching it in IMAX where you have a husband and wife sitting at a table or they have the group of men sitting in an office and the camera is constantly moving and hovering in the shaky cam. I was nauseous almost the whole film and I never been that way. I've seen Cloverfield in theaters. I've seen many, you know, shaky cam movies. It just drove me up the wall with this film. And I'm like, keep the camera still for two seconds and i don't understand why when you have people sitting in a boardroom why the camera has it's just these extreme close-ups you get to see everyone's pores and the just their beady eyes and it it drove me crazy and it made me nauseous and i did not enjoy watching the film even though i respected the craft that went into it but it was just it was almost fatal the camera work because it's just so insular it's just i i you know i i like the idea of focusing the film through his perspective but it was just so claustrophobic and i just i did not enjoy it and i liked the scenes in the spaceship and in space and the testing that was really effective but just the whole movie being like that for two hours and 20 minutes just kind of it was really unpleasant movie and i also think i don't really understand why the movie is so dour and downbeat and kind well, of because all kinds of people die i mean i know but <laughs> it's it's just it just has this grim i didn't think it was particularly it. grim i knew it was i, I the look of the domestic scenes especially, and I think that that might have been a sort of problem caused by seeing it in IMAX and how a decent amount of it was shot in 16mm and they had to blow it up for IMAX. That might have made the uh, the sort of domestic scenes in the shaky camera a little more disorienting than it was, especially when I saw it. But uh, I mean, it's to contrast it, it, it with it, it, the it's... space sequences is why it's so like... Gritty it would have and been like a plain good looking. Contrast if you had the quiet earthbound scenes with the camera staying fucking still for a second. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's that, that's the problem is that when you shoot a couple having an argument, uh-huh. like just like you do when they're hurtling to their death almost, it it's just it's too much. It's too much. The whole movie is just. It's intense and it works when it needs to be, but I just, it was just an exhausting film experience. I just, maybe I should have sat in the very back row. I wasn't sitting that close to the screen, but I just, I was literally nauseous for almost the whole film. And I've never been that way. Like I said, I've seen Cloverfield in theaters. I've seen many, you know, found footage horror films. I've seen the Bourne movies. I love the Bourne movies. Uh This one just drove me up the wall and I just was like, 
everything. So I can't say that I like the film at all, but I admire a lot about it. Oh, so wow. I ju- you I would just, even go as far as to say that, that you didn't even like it. I admire the film. I admire many aspects of the film, but I just, it was a grueling experience to me. It was just, it works brilliantly in the spaceship sequences. Like, I, one thing I liked about those two is it almost has like an experimental film quality. It's just very sparse, and there'll be scenes where you can barely make out what's happening, and there's a great intensity to that. You'll see numbers flashing on the screen from the boards, and you'll see the vision from out the window, the view out the window, and it's just, you'll see like a light, and there's just blackness all around. It's highly effective. But to have the whole fucking movie like that drove me crazy. Like, I did not enjoy watching it. I was just like, "This when is it going to be over? Like, I, I literally need to, like, go outside and breathe. I admire a lot. I mean, the craft is amazing. The production design, the costumes. I think Ryan Gosling's terrific in the film. I think Claire Foy is really good, even though I don't quite understand why she's so severe throughout the film. It looks like she could like pull a switchblade out what and do you kill mean her you don't understand why she's so severe like her husband is at risk of dying literally every single day i know but th- th- that's the one note she has for the entire film that's not true and i think it's just, i mean you see that they love each other but she just has this glare in her eyes the whole time that i just she's really good in the scenes where you know she wanted you know, she's going to the NASA offices because they turn off her radio because they're afraid that there might be bad news. Those are really effective. But I just I, I found the movie to be too one note. The whole movie is just oppressive. It's a it was a, not an entertaining movie. And I, I oh, understand I it was very people, entertaining. I think, people you know, I understand people died and there was a great intensity to what they were doing. But the whole movie was just so. Like I, I need, I felt claustrophobic and I, there was no contrast. That's the problem with me is that the whole movie is like the scenes in the spaceship. The scenes on the moon were not claustrophobic. Yeah. And you get to the moon, like two hours and 20 minutes, like two hours. And that's sort of, it's preparing you for that. As soon as they get to that and there's wide open spaces, you totally feels different. It's like a different movie. Yeah. But I don't, I don't understand when you have a, group of guys sitting around drinking beer outside why the camera has to be just shaking and it can't be oh still it's not shaking just... that much you're exaggerating it, it, it. It, 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 there is there is less than five minutes in this film where the camera isn't moving whiplash is an incredibly intense film but there are quiet scenes there's scenes where there are people sitting and talking and the camera is still there's contrast like there has to, to have the movie just is to one note and it's oppressive that's how i felt Hmm. Halloween. Okay. <laughs> That's just like a totally your overwhelming opinion of the movie. He's just can't well, the film was overwhelming, it. and and like I, I, I want the film should be overwhelming in the scenes where they're you know you don't know if they're going to make it out alive, and some of them don't make it out alive, but. I mean, you, that's that's how I felt watching the film, and you know, it, it, it's like if I wrote a review of it. Well, we're you know we are reviewing it, but if I would say that I admire the film greatly f- for many reasons. I just didn't enjoy watching it, and, and partially hmm. you could say that that means the film is working because you know the, the scenes where the characters even are at home, there's this intensity and there's this fear of death that hangs over the whole film, but. It just, I, I just felt, I felt that the film was really, 
overwhelming and in a way that is unpleasant. And how and much that of that do you think is a response to his last movie, La La Land, which was sort of like candy colored and everything was very like steady cam and all that sort of stuff. You think he was just trying to get away from that and make something totally different? I mean, I don't understand the aesthetic of having the camera constantly moving. You go see it, and you should go go see it in IMAX, and we'll touch base. Would you want? To, since you liked it so much, why don't you go, go sit in the very back row if you can in the middle? <laughs> but see it in IMAX. I mean, I don't know if there's an IMAX theater near me. Oh well, I don't know. There should be some, but uh, it just was. Yeah, I mean, I've seen. I love seeing films in IMAX, but this one was just. I don't know. In general, I think IMAX is really overrated. Well, no, I. I, IMAX is the way to go, but uh, if any of you are listening, it you know contact us if you had any kind of physical reaction to First Man. I mean, have you ever have you ever um, been bothered by the the filming of a film like the way it was shot? Have, has that ever bothered you before? Not really, no. It's never bothered me before. I've seen many films in theaters. I mean, I, I did see The Dark Knight Rises way up. Like, I was very close to the screen in IMAX, mm. and I was just like, ugh, it's hard to tell what's going on. But that was because I was sitting too close because it was like a sold-out show, and we had to sit really close to the front. But I was sitting at a good distance. Mm. I, I've said my piece. So I, <laughs> I, I, I highly recommend seeing the film, but just... And I, like I said, I'm not someone who gets motion sickness. I'm not someone that is, you know, gets bothered by shaky cam. I've, it's never happened before. But I don't know, seeing this in IMAX, you know, for two hours and 20 minutes, it was just grueling and unpleasant. And I did not like it. I admire the film, but I did not like it. What okay? do you think of uh, the supporting performances in it? Because it's got a whole lot of very oh, yeah. prominent character actors in it. It has a great, it has a lot of great, it has a lot of actors that are really great at seeming like they came from the 60s. Like I, yes, like, I thought it was very perfectly cast, especially in that regard. Yeah, I, um, it's one, you know, it has all these actors, you go, oh yeah, I know him from that, and then you look on IMDb and you've seen them all in like 10 films each, at least, you know, oh, yeah. and you don't even remember which ones they were in necessarily, but, um. I thought Jason I, Clark was really good as a fellow astronaut who's sort of like his neighbor and one of his friends. Jason Clark is like the ultimate that guy. You've seen him in like a hundred things, but like nobody ever knows who he actually is. Like nobody's like, oh, you know, I really like Jason Clark. But like you see him in everything and he's always really good. Well, and I mean, I do think that there is, I, 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 I don't like the camera work, but I like the, the production design. I mean, the film is impeccably made. The, you know, the suits Super and... realistic to period. And it gives you a really yeah. good idea of just, like, how, like, everything that they were flying in was just on, like, the brink of exploding. Like, everything was just, like, so just notched together. And it's crazy to, like, think of the technology they had back in, then in the 1960s and they actually almost It's almost 50 years ago and it's amazing that, you know, that they were able to do it. It really is. And I think that's what it gets across better than anything It's just, like, how... You just think, like, obviously it was going to happen, like they were going to put a man on the moon. At this point, it seemed like it was almost predestined. But, like, watching this movie, you figure out that just, like, so many things went wrong for so many of the astronauts, and so much stuff could have gone wrong. And, like, the chances of them actually pulling it off were, like, so tiny. And it took, like, exceptional skill by, like, people like Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and the people on the ground to actually, first of all, have the bravery to put themselves in that situation. The second is have 
the knowledge and the skill to actually get it done. I, th- I don't know. I thought it was well, a really I- good man-on-a-mission sort of movie. I thought it really was excellent at capturing the minutia just, like, of the work. Like, there's a scene where they're doing the Gemini 8 mission, and, like, everything seems like it's going according to plan, but all of a sudden, like, they can't find the satellite they're supposed to hook up with. And, like, in the middle of space, Neil Armstrong is just doing, like, math equations. And he's like, tells his co-pilot, like, be quiet. Like, I have to, like, do <laughs> math equations in the middle of space or else we might, like, never make it back to Earth. And just, like, that sort of stuff I had never really seen in a movie before. And I thought it was or, really awesome that they got it across. Or the part where they have to get the little... A piece of plastic or whatever that's stuck in the seatbelt so they can, you know, they get a pocket knife out. Like the little things, like, oh, yeah. we gotta fix this little, you know, <laughs> they, they could have died if it, you know, if that hadn't been fixed, if they yeah, found it. Yeah, it's not like you see those kind of details in something like Apollo 13. Like, where, I don't know. And obviously, like, in that movie, everything goes wrong, but they just don't capture the minutia, which I find really interesting, especially in period pieces that, like, place you definitively in a time and place and just. I thought they got the period like down incredibly well. Right. I don't think there. In, I don't think it's ever a problem in a movie getting the period detail. Like if you're doing a period piece, they almost always do it really well, don't you think? I mean, have you ever seen a recent film? You're like, oh, they didn't get the. Usually they it's get. It's not the, so much as it's. I mean, obviously, a lot of times they capture the feel. And I think the biggest crutch people use to, is just, like, using songs from the period. It's like, oh, we're supposed to be in the 60s. But they don't, well, like, make me feel like I'm, like, seeing, like, documentary footage from the period, which is how I sort of felt watching this movie. When I saw Clint Eastwood's Jersey Boys, I can't remember if I actually came up with this line or whether I read it in someone else's review. But uh, <laughs> you can just I, I'm admitting it. Anyway. <laughs> well, no, it's like I don't want to be like a comedian who steals a joke. I'm admitting that I don't remember if I came up with this, but they said that the film felt embalmed in nostalgia, and I think that some films. Well, that's a movie that way. almost seems like fake. It like, seems like a Planet Hollywood Wax Museum Hall of the Presidents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, what's <laughs> that man. restaurant in Pulp Fiction? <laughs> right, right. And I mean, I think the first man it does do an incredible job of capturing the the details and the minutia, like we're saying. Um, but I just needed a breather. I need, and I just I understand that th- their life was very intense, and there was always this fear of accident or even death but i just i mean it fundamentally comes down to the camera work drove me crazy and it literally yeah. made me nauseous that was, that's just kind of fundamentally uh you know an issue i had with the film but maybe well it's like when i saw la la land i almost thought i was going to die in the last five minutes of the movie so you know i've had two not good theater experiences and but then i had whiplash which is one of the greatest theater experiences i've ever had uh-huh. i i thought it was an incredible i mean i that final scene in whiplash seeing it in the theater i was like oh yeah i was like jumping up and down in my seat i thought i i thought i was going to have a heart attack i yeah. thought the character was going to have a heart attack and i was thought i was going to have a heart attack because it was so intense and so just like operatic it was just so heightened well that was, was a movie amazing. i had like no expectations going into it i was just totally blown away yeah. by it I mean, the same thing i mean not good or bad i just like oh I, this has gotten really good reviews i hope yeah. i like it and yeah, ten exactly min- <laughs> 10 minutes in i knew it was going to be the best film of the year and it was yeah uh, so i adore damon chazelle's talent from whiplash but i really don't like la la land well la la land's another one where i admire the craft but i just 
I didn't emotionally connect to the film. I do mm-hmm. find First Man quite moving, especially the stuff with the daughter and the kind of the end, the the moment that happens on the moon involving his daughter. I find that very moving, but. I just think the film was too one note that it was, and I don't understand, like I said, I understand that people died and there was an intensity, but there was, the movie was just too dour to me. Uh It was too downbeat. It was just like, God, is there no light or kind of, I thought it was very triumphant. It finally gets that way, but it's just the whole, just for almost the entire film, it's just so downbeat and depressing to me. And I just, just like, I don't understand why it was just such a downer of a film. And and it is uplifting at the end, but it is just kind of... Well, I mean, I don't think Neil Armstrong led a particularly happy life. And I think that sort of captures it. Like, uh, Claire Foy's character, his wife, they end up getting divorced, uh, like, years after this happened. It was like 38 years into their marriage. I just, I don't know. I think he was just a very intense person. And he was a very difficult person to live with. And I think that's sort of what what they get across in the movie. Well, it's one of those things where I can't deny the the good qualities of the film and that it might, you know, very accurately represent how the characters were feeling. It's just as an audience member, I found the film really hard to watch and hmm. it was just unpleasant and it was intense for the whole two hours and twenty minutes and it was just I needed I needed up and down it needed it needed to you know i even when you have these quiet scenes just to have it constantly the camera moving and just these uh, giant close-ups of faces it's too much too much Uh oh i loved it and for me david chazelle is very much three for three i've loved all of them well i don't know why you always say three out of three's done four films well because i haven't seen the first one so i can't count that i highly recommend seeing first man and watch watch Roger Ebert's review of Naked Lunch that's how I kind of feel I love Roger Ebert uh, talking with Gene Siskel he reviews the David Cronenberg film Naked Lunch he says he goes I admire what Cronenberg and Weller and Davis have done in this film it's an incredible job it's a brilliant job this is one of the most unpleasant films I've ever seen and I hated most of it and he said so I don't know what to do thumbs up thumbs down because I can't deny the craft I just found it so repulsive and unpleasant. And I'm not saying that First Man's like repulsive and unpleasant, but I just found it oppressive. It was a grueling. And it should be when it needs to be, but for the whole movie to feel like that, it was just too much for me. Halloween is, uh, it's the, um, well, it is a sequel, and what's interesting is David Gordon Green directed this film. He co-wrote it with Danny McBride and another man uh, who has worked on the uh, Eastbound and Down named uh, Jeff Flowery, uh, Fadley. And it's uh, picking up 40 years after the original 1978 John Carpenter film. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is back as Laurie Strode. And it's interesting because the film ignores all the other films in the series. Halloween 2, all the sequels, Rob Zombie's remake, they completely throw them out the window. So Laurie and Michael Myers are not related. They are just a victim and, uh, you know, there's no connection to them besides uh, he went around killing her friends. And it ends, uh, this film picks up 40 years later where 
Michael Myers is being transferred to a new uh, facility, and he escapes, of course, and it's right on uh, the eve of Halloween. And Laurie has been an alcoholic, and she's been worried her whole life that Michael is going to get out and start killing again. And she's kind of been estranged from her daughter because she's been so overly protective in training her daughter, putting her through gun training. But, of course, as the film begins, uh, uh, Michael Myers does actually get out, and he starts uh, killing. He goes on a killing spree. And this film has, like, a body count triple the original because not many people actually die in the original. It's, like, five in the first Halloween. It's, like, 17 in this one. Right. Um, So my reaction to this film is that it doesn't really need to exist, but for what it is, it's reasonably entertaining, and I enjoyed seeing uh, grandmother Laurie Strode kind of kick ass and to protect protect her home. It almost ends up being like straw dogs in the end, you know. <laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> but um, it, I I couldn't quite get over um, the nagging suspicion throughout the film that there this film doesn't really need to exist. There's no reason for it, and you know, it is entertaining to a certain degree, but I just felt like it's just kind of another slasher film. And it is pretty much just a remake of the first film. It's just kind of the same thing happening throughout the film. Michael escapes, he goes to the neighborhood, he kills a bunch of teenagers, and it ends with him uh, chasing Laurie through the house. You know, a different house, but it, it basically has the same plot. And I was entertained, but I wish that it had been a little more stripped down and sparse like uh, Carpenter's original. I think that it's not that it's too long, but I feel like the film doesn't have kind of the aesthetic quality, this kind of this... What works for me so much about the original film is that it's just so kind of simple. It's like almost right at 90 minutes, and the score and the camera work, it's just very simple and there's a great power to that and i think that the new film is kind of like just a little bit more of a generic slasher sequel and it's a well done one but it's just that problem of you have this classic original and it just pales in comparison so even if i say that this new one is the best uh Halloween since the original that's kind of damning with faint praise because I've seen all all of the original Halloween films before this except I have not seen Rob Zombie's sequel to his remake but you know most of them are garbage and <laughs> you know uh, you know Jamie Lee Curtis will admit that herself but mm-hmm. um, I, I, I also kind of felt that the allusions to the first film it was kind of clever and I enjoyed some of them but some of them were a little on the nose and it's just feeling like it's just you know, trying to please the fans and it's like being a little overly clever, but, but I, I did enjoy the film. It was a fun, you know, bloody romp, but, uh, I, I kind of couldn't quite get over, you know, you know, comparing it to the original and I don't have the same affection for the original as I do for some horror films. Like I love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Evil Dead series. Like I have like real serious, you know, they, they really mean a lot to me. And I don't really feel that way about the original Halloween, but I think it's one of the best horror films ever made. I really love it. So I don't have the same kind of investment in Laurie Strode in the series. So I, I you know, I didn't have this kind of 
great disappointment in the film, but I was just like, oh, it's it's fun. It just I don't know that it needed to be made, but for what it is, I thought it was fun. What'd you think? Uh well, someone who doesn't have a whole lot of connection to the original Halloween and has not seen any of the sequels, I really liked it, and I don't like horror movies very much at all. Um, You're a but- chicken. <laughs> not that I'm a chicken. I just I think they're generally like really stupid and they have very weak plots and the characters are very one dimensional and well, <laughs> the stuff they I, do is I so stupid. That. And like well, that definitely John, is true for this one. But well, I remember John Carpenter. I saw him at an, um, I saw him at a convention in Kentucky where he's from a few years ago, and he said that most films are bad. A few films are pretty good and even fewer films are really good and he said that you know more than any genre horror films have really bad you know ratio of good to bad ones but i really love the good ones though yeah and but but anyway go on no i i mean i can see what you're saying about it not needing to exist but since we live in a uh a capitalist society there are 76 million reasons for it to exist after four days so i think uh bloom house is very happy that they made the decision to bring it into existence especially on a 10 million dollar budget like that was like a no-brainer and it's gonna end up making like 300 million it's gonna like absolutely rake in money because it's just gonna it might even have like a bigger weekend next weekend with halloween coming up um, not bigger but it will have another big week i don't think it'll have a significant drop off at least i think I, it could be like 60 55 million next weekend which obviously is not how you're supposed to judge a movie you're supposed to judge it on its merit as a movie and how entertaining it is and how well the characters are are written and stuff like that but i, I really liked it and obviously it falls to the tropes of like a slasher movie where <laughs> You know, it's got, like, the stoner guy who gets killed, and, uh, you know, it's a whole bunch of teenagers having sex getting murdered. But, I don't know. I really liked it. I don't like horror movies very much. It might have been a little too long. Uh, It took a little while to get rolling at the beginning. Uh, There's sort of, like, a framing device where uh, (laughs) two British podcasters are doing, like, a serial-type investigation on on how on the michael myers murders from 40 years earlier which i really liked as a sort of framing device what do you think of that yeah well i actually enjoyed that for the first about 20 minutes of the film there's no violence and it's kind of quiet and it sets the scene uh i i like that i mean i think that you know at a certain point these movies boil down to, you know, a guy in a mask is going to go around killing people and, you know, that he's, they're going to, he's going to off people in wonderfully sick ways, you know, killing people with knives and hammers. And, um, it was funny. I was going to a restaurant I, I go to, uh, in town. And one of the people said that one of his coworkers complained about the film saying that, you know, Michael Myers, he just goes around killing people for no reason. And I was like, <laughs> That's sort of the point. That's the whole point. That's (laughs) the whole point. It's like, it's nihilistic. And I think maybe one of the problems I have a little bit with the film is that, that this Carpenter's stripped downness that adds to the nihilism and the fact that it, it, it creates this power of how kind of this empty blank, you know, boogeyman that Michael Myers is. And the fact that the new film is a little bit more, uh, I don't know. We're not heated, but it ha- it has a little bit more of a kind of a standard slasher film. Uh, it makes it not quite as powerful. And I-, I think Michael Myers, the character, is powerful. But when you put it with John Carpenter's aesthetics, where it's really sparse, 
it works much, much better. And it's not quite as uh, powerful when it's in kind of a, even a well-directed slasher film, but just a more kind of standard one. It doesn't mm-hmm. have quite the punch. Yeah, there wasn't any, like, absolutely sort of iconic moments, like, uh, in the first one where, like, you think he's dead, and, and Laurie's in the foreground, and all of a sudden in the background, he, like, sits up in, like, that really, well, like, well, there are, Well, there's a way. bunch of references but they where they switch it around, though, is you mm-hmm. have, you know, ones where Michael Myers says, uh, you know, he's standing on the ledge and laurie's fallen off and then he looks down and she's not there anymore so there's all these illusions yeah there are a whole lot of illusions to it but uh yeah even in to the series itself uh two of the the characters are saying oh i thought they were brother and sister and they go oh no that's just like an urban legend you know (laughs) that uh, referencing the history of the series but i think it's interesting that david gordon green directed it he's had a very eclectic career he was born in little rock arkansas and went to the north carolina uh, school of the arts and he directed uh, George Washington, which mm-hmm. is in the Criterion Collection, this very like Terrence Malick-like indie film about children. And then he get, went on to do Pineapple Express. And last year he did Stronger, where Jake Gyllenhaal, play, uh, based on a true story about a man who lost his legs in the Boston Marathon mm-hmm. bombing. Um, so he's done a lot of different films. And yeah, he did it's Your Highness. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it's it's interesting that he was going to originally direct the remake of Suspiria, and they're coming out within a few weeks of each other. But he ended up doing, that. yeah, it was originally going to be him uh, doing Suspiria, but um, yeah, I you know everything you know is being remade and rebooted, and you know it, you know this is well done. You know, it's one of the better. Uh, horror, you know, recent horror, you know, you know, new versions of something, but uh, it 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 does just feel kind of like more of the same, you know, good, but mm-hmm. just more of the same. So, and I I always like to tell people they always should every for every movie stay through the end credits, but stay through the end credits. There's a little bit of a hint about uh, the series where it might go. Uh, or the fate of some character, possibly, uh, if you stay through the end, very end of the credits and listen. Mm-hmm. I thought there was uh, one particular uh, sequence, which is sort of like where Mike Myers, or sorry, Michael Myers is getting his uh, sort of killing spree started, where it's like a, I don't know, they probably did have edits in there somewhere, but it's like a four minute, like uncut sort of long take of Mike Myers just going from like one house into the other and just sort of picking up different weapons. I thought that was really well done. Right. And I do think that the getting of the mask and the the his jumpsuit like that was clever and well mm-hmm. done. I, I, I liked how it, you know, ma- try, you know, tried to make a logical uh, reason that he would get the mask back and his suit. So, um, yeah. And I mean, there is just certain entertainment value in seeing some of this iconic imagery and just yeah. seeing Laurie. And I think Jamie Lee Curtis is really fun. I you thought know, she was really the, good in it. Yeah, I mean, the only other films in the series I would recommend watching are the first sequel uh, and H2O, which um, are decent. But to me, it's like the original is like way up here, five stars. And the new one is like, if I'm being generous, is like three and a half. I give it three and a half or four. I give it three and a half, I think. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that it needed to be made, but since it was it's entertaining and i i i'm i'm not upset that it's made a bunch of money but um 
I uh, well, I I don't think it is a criticism to me. It's not a criticism to me if a film isn't scary because there's been like seven films ever that have scared me. Oh, this it wasn't particularly scary. scary. There were like uh, a couple moments. I wasn't necessarily scared, but it, like made me jump. It was more just like oh shit kind of stuff than like oh my god I'm terrified right now. Right, and um, I do still hate any movie ever having any CGI blood, and it's it's not like there's a bunch of like really awful CGI blood, but there's parts where you go oh CGI, and that just always bothers me. It's it's that's lazy filmmaking too. It's <laughs> like I I always say you can do anything ever without CGI. And it shouldn't be used very. It, it it bothers me when it's little things. Like I hate it in No Country for Old Men when so you know there's this great scene and then it ends with someone getting shot and there's CGI blood. It just goes, uh, yeah, now there's CGI. It I'm not as discerning me. as you are when it comes to that. Well, it's just like in The Departed when like you have a character get shot and the blood just sprays like they get couldn't physically like spray that way in real life. It's just like it looks like a computer. How do you game. know you never shot anybody? <laughs> No, but it's it's like you freeze frame it and you go frame by frame and the blood is like it's CGI blood like you can tell it doesn't spray it's just all of a sudden there's blood on the back of the wall yeah it just it, it I hate it, it I CGI <laughs> is the worst thing that's ever happened to cinema it's like people probably went oh sound was the worst thing oh color is the worst thing that ever happened to cinema. I maybe yeah. be like an old person but I just definitely a I, little bit it's not like there's a bunch of I don't think well, there's you like Zodiac so much and. San Francisco is entirely created with CGI in that movie. Yeah, there is a handful of stuff I really like that has CGI. You know, I think Gravity, which is almost entirely CGI, yeah. uh, is amazing. I, I love the Planet of the Apes prequel trilogy, but I just get tired of seeing a film where it's – and it often bothers me more. Or it it's, wouldn't be difficult for them not to use CGI, and they use CGI anyway, I guess. Yeah. You know, I love the fact that Tarantino never uses CGI except to erase wires or something. Like all of the blood in Kill Bill and Django, all that's on set. All that's practical effects. You know that? I did not know that. Not exactly yeah. realistic though. Yeah, no, but to me it is. It's not realistic <laughs> in the sense that like it would actually be that. But I love the, you know, the, you know, that's, you know, it's happening on set. How it feels more visceral than like a CGI sort of thing. Yeah. But but there isn't an abundance of like noticeably bad CGI in Halloween. But it just bothers me, you know. It, it's like when you watch the original Halloween mm-hmm. and when you watch the original Mad Max films, you know there's you know there's no CGI and there's this. Great, oh, I find like, the very original Mad Max, the one Mad Max, not the Road War. I find that very difficult to watch. I really don't like that movie. Oh, it's like better than any comic book movie these days. Well, I mean, it's just. I don't know. I find that it's super slow. I don't like it very much at well, all, honestly. I think the Road Warriors like a masterpiece. The Road it's Warriors like the, significantly better than Mad Max. It's the best sequels ever. Are Bride of Frankenstein's my favorite sequel ever. Godfather Part Two, The Road Warrior. Um, I also really like 2010. Um, the remake Contact. <laughs> no, I do. I I think one of the best horror sequels in the last twenty years is Twenty Eight Weeks Later. I think it's even better than the uh, Twenty Eight Days Later. That is a good. Uh, one. Yeah, it's it's yeah. But Let's anyway, get back to yeah. the the British podcasters. I thought they were really funny. And there was an article I read on uh, theringer.com 
about how they're actually really bad at their job as podcasters. <laughs> like, how they're recording uh, the audio, like, inside the insane asylum, when, like, alarms are buzzing off in the distance, and they're, like, recording their audio in the car. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. do y'all have any concern for sound quality whatsoever? And, like, their interview with uh, with Lori is, like, three minutes, and they, like, don't get anything out of her. If they were, like, building up to that throughout the course of their, like, series, and it finished with, like, the climactic episode, like, our interview with Lori, Strode. It's like three minutes where she reveals nothing when it just been like so it would have been hilarious if that was like actually a real podcast and that was like their big climax. And how they wanted to like speak to Michael Myers, who never speaks, is such a funny <laughs> it's just such a funny subject for a podcast, like a guy who will never actually talk to you and like doesn't even make a sound. Yeah. I, I, I like the fact that you know, you kind of see his face, but not really. But you, they keep, you know, true to the the series. That you don't hear him speak. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just, uh, I thought that was hilarious, and I, it was very of the moment that they had like podcasters be the people who are like investigating it, not like you know print journalists or anything like that. I thought it was very of the moment, and uh, I thought they got the sort of high school stuff. I wouldn't say it was, like, amazingly well done, but that's something you can get wrong very easily in a sort of uh, horror movie where it's, like, made by, like, you know, 40-year-olds and they have no understanding of what, like, kids these days are actually like. I thought they got it pretty well. And, you know, there were sort of flat characters and stuff like that, but... And obviously very stereotypical, like, there was, like, the stoner and, like, the boyfriend from the wrong side of the tracks, but... <laughs> I don't know. They felt like sort of lived-in characters. I... And it's something that they could obviously get wrong, and it's, like, one of those things you sort of have to put in a slasher movie, but I thought they did it as well as they could. Yeah, it's always fun to see Judy Greer show up in these films. I mean, I remember there and was And usually she, year... like, doesn't do anything. She's just, like, a face. <laughs> She's just, like, a supporting actress who actually has no character, like in Jurassic World or something like that. Yeah, there was one year where she was in Tomorrowland, Jurassic World, Ant-Man, Entourage, and, like, she, like... She she's like she's just there to be like standing in the doorway like she yeah, has she's nothing. like this is a respectable actress let's just put her in the I know movie. but she is really good she's on um she was on a show called Married and she was on Arrested Development she's on Archer mm-hmm. of course playing Charlotte but um and I yeah, thought her she, character was pretty interesting in this movie like the daughter of Laurie who grew up in like a very troubled sort of household and like had a her character is like a clinical psychologist is sort of like a you know. Uh, the environment she was raised in sort of determined her future. I thought that was kind of cool how they put that in there. Well, uh, why don't we end the episode by saying what film or subject would you like to see Damien Chazelle do next or sometime in the near future? And then also, who would you like to see direct another Halloween film? There's just so much stuff I'd like to see Damien Chazelle make. Uh... I'd like to see him make a good musical. (laughs) So oh, I love La La Land. I'll, I'll watch that movie like as soon as we stop this, just to spite you. Um, I don't know. I'd like to see him. I liked how he did historical, like how captured the the '60s in this movie. So I'd sort of like him to do another period piece, not necessarily like a costume drama, but uh, I don't know. I'd what, like to I, see how he does like a gangster movie. I think that'd be kind of yeah. Cool. I was just, yeah, and I, I it would be cool to see him do kind of like. Tarantino's doing is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like have him do a 
movie related like movie set in hollywood or you know has some filmic uh you know references something that has something to do with film history like do a biopic of some movie star yeah have ryan gosling play you know someone (laughs) yeah i hope he does another one with ryan gosling i think they work really well together i don't know there's just all kinds of stuff i'd like to do i'd like to see him make a war movie i think that would fit really well with you know sort of intense driven characters uh see his hackshaw ridge <laughs> yes <laughs> uh just all kinds of stuff i'm gonna be up for whatever he makes at this point i'm just like hook line and sinker i am damien chazelle <laughs> might be like my favorite working director right now honestly um well mine's david lynch but well, he's, he's hardly working yeah <laughs> Yeah, he only directed 18 hours of television last year, but he still. Well, that was over the course of like six years, wasn't it? Yeah, but um, I would say the it would be cool to do a Halloween film. See Michael Hanukkah direct one, because he would get the strip down. He would get the strip down really well. Yeah, see that, and I was also thinking that um, I've seen the trailer for Boy Erased, the film about the gay conversion with uh, Joe Edgerton. uh huh, and it's um, stars uh, the young actor from Lucas Hedges, who is uh-huh. in um, Manchester by the Sea mm-hmm. and Lady Bird, and it has Russell Crowe. And I'd like to see Michael Hanukkah do a film about gay conversion therapy. It might be the most hard to watch <laughs> film ever. It would be like you know, Boy Erased is going to be kind of uplifting and you know, soul stirring, but Michael Hanukkah's version would just make you like want to slit your wrist. He'd but... end up, yeah, he'd probably end up killing himself. He would, it would probably be accused. It would, it would be so like depressing and hard to watch that people would stupidly like accuse it of being homophobic. Probably, probably even yeah. though it was just being brutally honest. But yeah, I would like to see Michael Hanukkah direct a Halloween film. That That's would be not cool. a bad shout. I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, that would never happen. But he no, it wouldn't. He would never do you know like a, a Bloomhouse production. Uh, well, Jordan Peele the... would be sort of interesting to see him do a Halloween movie. Um, I don't know. It's hard to think. Well, you saw the uh, Blum kind of put his foot in his mouth saying that, you know, oh, I can't find any female directors uh, that will do one of my movies. And then people came up with these giant lists of female directors. But he did oh. point out that, like, I've met with um, the director of The Babadook, uh, Jennifer Kent, and he was like, please, please direct anything. And, and she never took him up on an offer. So, I mean, there is partially that you know people just say no to uh-huh. doing uh films but uh i would love to see um anna biller is someone she did the film the love witch which i think is incredible i'd like to see a studio give her a big lump of money to let her do her because fi- like it took her years and years and years to do the love witch because she would like literally take a year and a half to like sew all the costumes by herself <laughs> you know it's yeah. she like gets like eight credits on the film she's the writer director composer you know she does the production design she paints the painting she oh, wow. sews the costume she does it's like david set. lynch with a racer head <laughs> i know I, what do you um, think wes anderson doing a halloween movie <laughs> no that wouldn't work <laughs> It's stop motion. <laughs> well, I, would, ever... I was thinking you were saying, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Gordon Green was going to do the Suspiria. I wonder how Luca Guadagnino's uh, Halloween would be. Yeah, well, it's, you know, he's going to take, a, he, he, uh, they announced that um, Guadagnino's taking a Bob Dylan song, Blood on the Tracks. I saw, make... oh, it's the whole album I thought was he was going to do like a sort of a narrative movie based on like that. Yeah, that's cool. Richard I, Linklater, I, I think, could do, could do a good Halloween movie. 
Richard Linklater. I think yeah, he'd I get like the him. high school dynamic really well. Yeah, <laughs> it would sort of be a high school though. movie with a killer in the sort of background of it. <laughs> I, that would be cool. Like have Dayton confused, and it's almost uh, yeah. not important. There's a killer. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're the just God, like I'm... watching a movie. They're like, "Hey, did y'all hear this guy escaped from a mental asylum?" <laughs> and he like shows like, up sixty minutes into it. <laughs> it's like uh, the way Gosford Park, Robert Altman's film. It's almost uh, second that it's a murder mystery. Like it doesn't matter. It's like it, oh you, yeah, that's you almost, totally like, don't secondary care. to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I like the idea. I mean, if you're going to do all these Edgar remakes, Wright, you think he'd do a good Halloween movie? Yeah, it's just sometimes. I mean, I I didn't particularly have a problem with this, but you know, I I don't like when you have there's certain films that don't need to be jokey, and I think that uh, I didn't really have a problem with some. You know, there was humor in the new Halloween, but I like I think, those those parts of it though. I like the little black kid, like, cutting his... I thought he was him. hilarious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. And the two cops talking about the Vietnamese bread, I thought that was hilarious. It was like a Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. Me. But, um, I, uh, I, I, we won't give it away, but I do think the twist about three-fourths away through the film is completely undurned and stupid and unnecessary. I, I agree with that, yeah. It was sort of... Yeah. And don't you agree that if he was still alive um, or he had been born uh, a few, you know, two decades later, that that would have been played by Omar Sharif? I kept <laughs> yes, thinking, it would have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would have been cool. But um, did you realize uh, looking through the end credits that the voice of the teacher is PJ Souls, who was in the original film and in the original Carrie? I did not know that. Yeah, I met her in a convention once. I've seen John Carpenter in person. Oh, she's um, the last girl that gets murdered in the original, right? Yeah, she's the one that gets choked uh, with the, the telephone. telephone yeah. With the he's who has the ghost sheet on him. Yeah, but um, yeah, but definitely, you know, you don't have to have seen any of the sequels, but make no, sure you've I seen hadn't the seen any of them. And I've I've seen the original, yeah, and it'd be sort of tough to enjoy this one without having any sort of reference to who Michael Myers is as a character or Laurie Strode. Yeah, if you if you hadn't seen the original, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense about Jamie Lee Curtis's character. And her motivations and stuff like that, right? And uh, it it it's it's rewarding to see her. You know, they uh, they said you know I don't know if this is true, but they, I saw some statistic that this is the highest opening weekend ever for a film with a female lead that's fifty five or older. Yeah, <laughs> which is uh, not surprising because I'm sure there are not many movies with a female lead fifty five or over. <laughs> I know. It's like you can have Clint Eastwood, who's 88, you know, star in a film. But well, I like, doubt the mule's going to make a lot of money. But anyway, but uh, so First Man is in theaters. It's in IMAX. It might not play in IMAX too much longer. Uh, I don't know what's coming out next in IMAX, but it hasn't done well at the box office. Uh, it's done, I think, better than they expected. I think it's already earned back its uh, its budget. Well, I've heard them say it didn't. it's not done as well as they thought. People aren't going to see it. It's made like 50-something million already. Really? Yeah. Okay. I just I thought I I've seen a number of headlines saying that it's underperformed. Oh, uh, we can frame how anything however you want. It, I mean, it's not exactly yeah. like. <laughs> it's like I remember them saying about Fahrenheit eleven nine that oh this is like Michael Morris slipping. People aren't seeing his movies, and then I see headlines saying it's the biggest. Yeah, it was like the biggest movie he'd released since like Fahrenheit nine eleven, basically, which was a huge box office success. But I don't know. Suspiria comes out this weekend. I don't know if that's uh, on uh, just on Amazon Prime or if it's coming out in theaters also. Uh, but I don't know. Are you going to see Suspiria this weekend? 
well, I live in Podunk, South Carolina. It's not going to be around here. <laughs> when's it gonna I, When's sure. it gonna come out in the, uh, theaters nationwide? November second, it says. Oh, which okay, is kinda so just the next weekend after Halloween. But yeah, be, not you know, exactly you, great marketing. Yeah, but um, I can't wait to see that boy. Oh man, I just saw here it's two and a half hours long. That's sort of surprising. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh. We, we'll uh, decide exactly what we want to talk about next week, but uh, one episode we'll do do soon is um, there's a bunch of films that have been on Netflix recently, and oh. we we'll t- might talk about them sometime. And even bigger news, Netflix is doing the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio movie, so they're just, and then they've got The Irishman. Is that coming out next year? That's yeah, the Martin Scorsese they one? Finish, they finished shooting it like months ago, but okay. did I tell you I actually saw them filming it? Oh, really? Yeah, I I, um, I follow this um, Twitter page where it tells you where things are being shot, and I saw that oh, they were shooting cool. in Brooklyn, and I saw someone we went to school with at NYU. He was working on the film, oh, wow. and I got to hang out on set. Just look, I mean, I mean, they were filming outside. It's just like they let me stand. Around. Yeah, I just was looking at the Wikipedia page yeah. for that, and I saw the budget was a hundred and sixty million dollars. Yeah, they're de- they're Benjamin but- Benjamin buttoning the. Actors. I really don't like, understand how that's like a good investment because I mean, I guess it'll be released in theaters a little bit, but it's gonna be a Netflix movie. Like, uh, I don't know. I guess if they're just looking for like exposure and someone like Martin Scorsese making a Netflix movie is sort of a victory in itself, but like that's a crazy amount of money to spend on. Uh, I mean, not like the most interesting sort of concept, but you know. Well, to we'll me, it it's it's. Out. To me, it's you got Scorsese with Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Pesci, Harvey Keitel. If there's something wrong with you, yeah, I don't know. I have a horrible feeling that it's going to be really bad. Well, I mean, I have the highest expectations for it because just one, it's Scorsese, but then two, all four of those people being in it. I mean, it's like. I know, I really hope it's good, and Martin Scorsese is, like, one of my favorite directors of all time, but I have a very sneaking suspicion it's going to be awful, and that the, like, de-aging thing is just not going to work at all. Yeah, I hope it, it no, does. No, I actually, I actually, well, this isn't exactly the same thing, but I thought in Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner, it was incredible when they put Sean Young into the film, like, that I thought really that good d- I me. thought that didn't look good at all. I thought that was, like, so obvious that <laughs> it was, like, not a real person. Well, I, you talk about well, CGI. I knew it wasn't. I thought that I know, was an awful looked, use of CGI. No, no, I thought that. I mean, she really looked like she was right there. I to me. no, 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 no. That was so obvious. That looked like a Polar Express character. Oh, it was like much better than that. I mean, obviously that's an exaggeration. But I well, I you could know. also argue it's like it's supposed to be somewhat like yeah, you know, science fiction. You can argue with you know it does it's it will look a little glitchier but uh but no i can't wait to see the irishman just 175 million dollars though insane that's like the pretty much like the well terrence malick's film's number one but that's like probably number two of next year uh you know the one i'm most excited for i can't wait till it comes out but i'm really worried it's gonna be awful yeah, I well, hope it isn't. Uh, well, I enjoyed First Man. Jonathan hated it. Thought it was the worst movie he's ever seen. <laughs> I admire the film. I didn't enjoy it. What would you give it out of five? Ooh, like a it's two. It's hard because like 
<laughs> it's like I, I like admiring it. I'd give it like four and a half out of five. Like experience, I'd give it like two out of five. So I'm not going to split the difference. It's like there's two different aspects to yeah. me. It's that I didn't enjoy it. It was it was physically exhausting and nauseating, uh, and I found it really one note. But I admire so much about the film. I do think it's one of Ryan Gosling's best performances. I the acting was really that. good. I thought he was really good in it. And the new Halloween, I'd give three and a half out of five. I think three and a half is probably a good rating for that. It's worth seeing in theaters. It's definitely worth seeing in theaters. I didn't see it with much of a crowd, which probably would have made the experience a little better. It's tough to see a horror movie without a crowd. I was, Same I, way with a comedy. It's tough to see a comedy without a crowd. I went to see the Sisters Brothers this weekend, and there was nobody in the theater. Um, <laughs> Not surprising. But, uh, it opened in like really wide release. Um, yeah. and But... Um, we, we went we were at the theater 30 minutes early more than 30 minutes early uh before another uh it, there was a screening of halloween that wasn't going to start for 30 minutes and it was sold out so that's how popular it was oh wow yeah I mean, so it's doing well yeah we, we, we it doesn't need us to tell people to go see it people are going to see it in droves and i, I don't know i think that's good it, they're probably going to make a just, sequel we'll see how that ends up being I have a sneaking suspicion that this year, well, you know, this films, the films from this year, the Oscars next year will be just another year where a bunch of the major, major nominees are films that are not my favorite. A Star is Born and First Man. It'll get a bunch of nominations. And like, I, I, I hope First Man does, but he's, he's probably going to get a nomination for Best Actor. And <laughs> despite your Damage misgivings about it, it's probably going to get a cinematography nomination. <laughs> I mean, do you, I mean, you didn't find it obnoxious at all that every not at all. I didn't even album, like notice it being like wobbly. Honestly, every scene in the movie, every scene is the camera is just. I know this is a podcast, but the camera is just wobbling and it's just handheld and it's extreme close-ups cutting between. It just was nauseating to me. I mean. I recommend seeing movies in IMAX, but I would say sit as far back as you can. I would say don't see it in IMAX if it's going to make you sick. <laughs> I don't know. I've never I've never had a problem with that before in a movie. Yeah, that's just, so funny. Right. Just because that's totally different than how I experienced it. It's funny. I mean, that's one of the things about movies. It's like people can see it totally differently, and it's the same thing. I know. It, they just it needed to have the movie is just two two hours and 20 minutes of one note just intensity and i just needed a breather and i i needed scenes on earth where it broke up the the just the dour intensity it just it, it drove me you know it, it 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 was too much for me i feel like an old man saying you know it's, it's just like I, <laughs> it really <you> know, is <laughs> yeah i i just want to mention uh in passing that I, I did see the old man and the gun when I was in New York, but it's in wide release now. So everyone should go oh, okay, see that. Cool. I want to see that movie. Solo, Free solo, the documentary, they're both out in many theaters. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff playing. I, I also want to see the hate you give. It's gotten really good reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I don't want to go into a review of the sisters brothers, but if you see that, we can talk about that sometime. Yeah. I want to see that eventually. I really like Jock on the yard, but and this is his yeah, first English good. language movie, which is kind of cool. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, all right. <laughs> Thanks for joining well, well, us uh, this week. We you heard two very different opinions on First Man, which was hopefully made for a good uh, listening experience to see uh, some heated but uh, 
I thought reasonable discussion about the merits of First Man, which I really like. Yeah, we both did, we both admire the film, but you really liked it. Oh, I loved enjoyed it. Enjoyed seeing it. Oh, I loved it. And that might, I mean, a lot of that might have to do with me loving the right stuff and it being sort of not a tribute to the right stuff, but uh, uh, very much inspired by it. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening uh, this week. Uh, still undecided about what we're going to talk about next week, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it'll be as uh, divisive as uh, the first van discussion was. But yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, catch up with us next week. Uh, we'll be releasing again on Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, so see you then. Bye.